1: paper since 1971. Bonus time of the ben Show. As I speak, it is, what, Thursday, February 16, 2023. Uh, I'll give you a couple of headlines uh, in the news. Things are going on so you have an idea of what's happening in the universe. Uh, uh, let's say you're listening to this two years from now, what is happening in the universe. How about this in the headline in the Chicago Sun-Times? Bears close $197.2 million deal to purchase Arlington Race course. Happy for you, Bears. Go. Go move to Arlington Heights. Glad we don't have to pay for you anymore, okay? We're still paying off the bonds, the money we borrowed. For your Soldier Field thing, apparently Soldier Field's not good enough now. You got to go to Arlington. The suckers in Arlington want to pay for your new facility? Let those suckers pay for your new facilities, as long as it's somebody other than someone like me in the city of Chicago. So there you go, Bears. And by the way, while you're at it, put a good team together, okay? Get your big public. You got that big old Bears paw out there looking for honey from the public, and you can't field a good team. Just saying, 3-16 and is pretty bad. All right, uh, and here's another little news item. This is in the form of a tweet, I guess it is. I want to say, uh, listener Frank, thank you for sending this to me. You always keep me up to date on stuff when I'm doing the show. Fraternal Order of Police, Chicago Lodge, number seven, law enforcement speech. <laughs> come on, guys, law enforcement speech. You're inviting Governor Ron DeSantis uh, is going to come give a speech in Elmhurst, so, the Chicago Fraternal Order Police is now in bed with Rod to say that. Come on, guys. You know, I, I mean, I support police pensions. I'm on, always have, probably always will. I'm a big believer in municipal pensions. You've got to make do on your promises. I will always appreciate Fraternal Order Police for standing up to Mayor Daly in 2000 and whenever it's seven on the Olympics. I say that all the time. But, good God. The politicians you climb in a bed with, Donald Trump and now Ron DeSantis? God, don't get me started. Anyway, without further ado, I'm going to ask my distinguished guest to introduce herself. Distinguished guest, introduce yourself.
0: (laughs) Hi, Ben. It's always a pleasure to be on your show. Um, I am State Representative Lakeisha Collins. I represent the 9th District, which embodies... North Lawndale, parts of the West Loop, and the near north side. I am now the chair of the House Black Caucus, and I am the Black Caucus Whip.
1: Wow, that's really cool. It's uh, Lakeisha, you became chair after, since the last time you were on the show, so congratulations. Although, I I don't know, man. (laughs) That's a tough job in many ways, uh, because there's a lot of competing interests, obviously. I mean, uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about that. What's it like? Uh, this is not something I was going to ask you about since you mentioned it, though. I might as well ask you about. So what are some of the challenges of being the chair of the uh, House Black Caucus?
0: Um, I mean, the leaders before me, you know, they made it look easy, but it's not, you know, you're pretty much, um, leading a caucus of, you know, diverse people who come from different spaces. They have different sets of skills. They represent different districts apart, you know, in parts of the state. And so everybody's interest is different. Um, and and being the chair of the caucus, you'd have to be mindful of that. And so what we need in Chicago may not be what the rep in Waukegan needs, or Peoria, or Rockford. And so I have to make sure that I am addressing all of our needs um, and that. You know, anytime there's something that pertains to policy that I am, you know, having conversations with our caucus members, making sure that they are part of those conversations, taking, you know, what they want um, to the forefront and just being very open and transparent and then um, executing, you know, the duties of, of what the position requires And so I bring a different set of leadership skills. Uh, I come from an organizing background. Um, And so just trying to make sure that, you know, we're united um, and that we are, you know, just continuing to elevate in the chamber. Um, And just for our our constituency is is really important, especially in a time that we're in right now. So I wouldn't say it's as challenging, but... It it is definitely a job to uh, some shoes to feel. I would say that.
1: Uh, I would say it's challenging, uh, and m- I'll put it to you this way: uh, Have you had to? Uh, I've never run anything other than coach. Okay, so coaching baseball, basketball, football, track, uh, which is not like being an elected official. I admit, but I had to deal with parents. Okay. And I will tell you right now, LaKeisha, in my humble opinion, the most challenging aspect of being a coach is dealing with the parents. All right, I'm just telling you my experiences, okay? The kids, I ever had any trouble with <laughs> It was the parents. So a lot of times I would have to tell a parent something he or she didn't want to hear. Okay, like they might have an objection about this, that, the other thing. And I would ultimately have to say, you know, it's not going to happen. I'm sorry. You know, if you want to pull your kid off the team, pull your kid off the team. I mean, there's nothing I can do about it. Uh, have you had a moment where you had to tell a rep something that he or she didn't want to hear?
0: I have not had that moment yet. Um, if it pertains to the the Black Caucus, <clears throat> it's the opposite, Right because my job is to serve the caucus members. So if there's a lobbyist or, you know, another group who wants us to support something, you know, they probably think talking to me as the chair is talking to the entire caucus. And that's not that's not how it is. You know, they can request from me, but it depends on what my caucus members, you know, whether they want to sit and have that conversation or not, or whether they support the initiative or not. And so I have to be very mindful of, you know, um, my personal interests and how that reflects the caucus. Just because I support some doesn't mean that other members in the caucus support it. And so I think having those conversations with those, you know, different advocacy groups may be a little bit challenging, but that's the role I took on. And so out of respect of the caucus members that I represent, I have to protect their interests and I have to protect their, um, you know, their choices. So, you know, I'm a spokesperson for them too whatever I say, whatever I do, it reflects the caucus. So I have to be mindful of that as well. There is no separation when you're the chair of the caucus, um, when you're in that position.
1: You want to speak with the United Voice. Absolutely. Uh, all right. So, uh, the big news out of Springfield, of course, uh, yesterday, uh, Governor Pritzker, uh, gave a budget address to the general assembly and the headline, I'm just reading right off the, Uh, from Page of the Chicago Sun-Times, and it's pretty much the main headline, the main takeaway uh, of his address. A governor proposes budget with nearly $1 billion boost in state education's funding for early childhood learning, K-12 public universities, and community colleges. Uh, As a lefty, I saw that, uh, Lakeisha, and I was like, excellent, that's good news. Then I read the fine print, There's some criticism embedded in the fine print from uh, my beloved Chicago Teachers Union. Uh, But um, let's get your uh, general reaction uh, to uh, the governor's budget statement yesterday.
0: I mean, my general reaction is that, you know, from past budgets since I've been in the legislature, it it seems to be improving each fiscal year, right? But, um, you know, representing a district that, is you know one end is is faced a lot of disparities, and on the other end is flourishing and thriving. I have to be very, um, you know, upfront about what the needs of my constituency, and so I think all of these significant gains that we're getting, you know, in the state of Illinois, um, we we have to ensure that some of this money is moved into areas where they are going to definitely help bring up some of those communities. And I think no matter what we do, to be honest with you, um, we're not going to really see as much of the improvement. We're seeing it, but we're not seeing a whole lot because it's been so many decades of disinvestment in some of these communities on the South and West side of Chicago and even in other areas where there's you know, Black communities. And so um, I'm happy about you know, um, what we're going to see in the budget, but we still need to, you know, address it and look line by line item. That's why we have our budgeteers and a lot of the experts. Um, and then we have our, you know, uh, requests that we, we put in and we negotiate about it. And, you know, I'm just hopeful. I think that I've never been an elected official, but I will say about the governor is that he's been very open and willing to work with us. You know, he's been very open and willing. And so from what I've heard from my other colleagues who've been there for a long time is that they've never seen nothing like this before. And so this is just his proposal. This is what his priorities are. We still have a part to do as the legislator, too. So I'm, I'm really happy that he's focused on a lot of the key issues that he brought up in his budget. But now it's time for us to you know, get the work done and get a budget that um, is going to continue to help us move forward in the
1: state of Illinois. Uh, Well, in particular, uh, I I suppose one of the uh, uh, issues that must be addressed, uh, the Chicago Teachers Union said the $350 million proposal for the school funding formula isn't enough, and the union said Pritzker should instead invest $750 million. Uh, So that's, I guess it's the start of uh, negotiations. Uh, Yeah. So talk about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, we've what's, seen this in the past with
0: here? the budgets, right? He gives his budget address. It's his proposal. And we've been able to shift money here and there or priorities here and there. It's a work in progress. And so, you know, we're in a better place than we've ever been. I'll tell you that. And that's from being on the the other side of advocating for more funding in my perspective area of being a healthcare worker to now being on this side as a legislator and just seeing how these this process has been since I've been there. And so I will say that there is a whole lot of room to move. And um, it's just his, that that's what his priorities are. But again, as the legislator, we have to, you know, give our input too.
1: When you say we're in a better place, is it because that, uh, because Pritzker's sympathetic uh, to the needs of uh, people in your district or we're a better place because the the economy is stronger or is it a combination of both?
0: It's a combination of both, but I really honestly think it's just prioritizing. We've been prioritizing and passing fiscal responsibility, responsible budgets. Um, our credit rating is up. We have been, you know, investing in our infrastructure. I mean, it's a whole lot that needs to be done in the state of Illinois. Um, and you can't get it done in four years. I'll just be honest with you on that. But I think at a time where a, pandi- a global pandemic hit, our governor, he has like hit the ground running. He's made sure that we have money for a rainy day fund, gotten a lot of our checks and balances in order. And then he listened to the legislator when we told him that we needed money to go in certain places to keep communities afloat. He's listened to those things um, and he's prioritized them. And then now what we're seeing is that we're in a better position. Um, And I'll just be honest. I don't feel that we'll always get everything that we want, but we've gotten way more than what we've seen in the past. And we have to be honest about that. And this governor has been very open. He has been very, you know, direct on a lot of key issues. And I mean, yesterday he spoke about racism. I've never heard that from any other governor he was very open about that and he, he was unapologetic, you know? And so he's been very bold on his moves and, and I could only respect that from, from governor Presker.
1: Yeah. Uh, to the, to the point I was making at the outset, uh, I was alluding to Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida coming to uh, address Elmhurst to talk about law and order. Uh, one of the things that uh, Ron DeSantis did, I know you follow this stuff. Uh, uh, he, uh, Ruled that the state of Florida, but not to allow the uh, uh, advanced placement course in African American history be taught in public schools, because he thought uh, it was like uh, what uh, too hostile to white people in the things that they presented, Uh, and he wanted to amend the the course, and he wanted well, he just wanted to outlaw the course, Uh, and uh, as a result, we're getting reports. From Florida, about teachers and librarians uncertain as to what they could teach, what books they can have in the library, uh, how far they can go in talking about things like slavery. And so there's like uh, stories about a biography of Hank Aaron, who was a baseball player, one of the greatest baseball players who ever played the game, being removed from a library. And Pritzker referred to that. He alluded to that uh, in his speech. Uh, Yesterday, and I took that as a throwdown at DeSantis, that him, he was saying that Illinois will be a different kind of state than Florida uh, when it comes to everything from what teachers can teach to what books kids can read to uh, what are the uh, acceptable boundaries for discourse and discussion uh, in a school uh, setting that's why I think he was throwing that in there about, uh, the, the Hank, the Henry, but Aaron, even about the the Aaron hate, book.
0: right. You know, the hate towards, cause he talked about, you know, his own, um, the attacks that's been made on the Jewish community as well. Right. And just acknowledging the hate that still exists in, in other minority communities too. And so, you know, I've never heard anyone talk about that in their speech as our governor besides Governor Prisker, so I don't know. I mean, he's he's very in tune with what's going on, that's for sure. And like I said, he's made a lot of bold moves that you wouldn't think that a governor would make, but he has been very open about how he feels about, you know, moving the state in a different direction.
1: One thing I never, I don't think I've ever asked you about, did you, you came in, uh, let me make sure I remember this, you came in under Madigan, correct? Was he the House Speaker when you came in? Or was it yeah, always like Chris a very Welch? Very
0: short period of time.
1: Do, do you have enough experience to sort of contrast, compare Madigan to Chris Welch's style of speaker?
0: No, I don't. Um, I've heard the stories. I was there when we were um, voting for the new speaker, <clears throat> but I've heard a lot of the stories. Um, and even when I was, you know, campaigning, I heard stories about Madigan. Um, I will say this: Speaker Welch. And his leadership, the reason why I voted for him the first time around, and even now, is because um, I look at people, I base people off one, how they treat you, how resourceful they are, and then um, the things that they care about. And when I first met Speaker Welch, um, a lot of people kept telling me, like, go to Chris, go to Chris, Chris, Chris is. Chris can be helpful, blah, blah, blah. So I would always just call him and say, hey, what do I do with this? Or what do I do with that? Or how do I go about, you know, doing this or that? And he would just, in a calm voice, always walk me through it. And then he'll say, look, I may not be as, you know, familiar in this area, but this is who you should talk to. Call this person. And then call me back if they weren't helpful, right? But they were helpful to me. And so every time I I took those steps, it was spot on. So it really wasn't a second thought for me to vote for him. And just watching him now and how he has been moving as the speaker, he has an open door policy. He is very accessible. Um, he's everywhere. And anytime you talk to him is nothing but words of encouragement. And so I don't know what other folks had experienced in the past, but I can tell you the temperature and the environment now is positive And it's just a good environment to work in for me. So I'm happy to um, be under Speaker Welch leadership.
1: What about uh, relations between Democrats and Republicans at this moment in Springfield? Uh, my sense of things from past uh, houses is that there was a lot of tension, particularly uh, because Darren Bailey, who was a state's, state senator, was running for governor, uh, and he was very much anti-Pritzker, anti-Democrat god anti-mask anti-everything uh, and i believe that set the tone uh for so much of the dynamics in the in the state house uh he's now left the scene he lost to pritzker he's no longer a state senator uh jim durkin has left as a republican leader of the house uh so in your i know it's early but do you think things have markedly changed, improved? there would be more uh, cooperation between how Republicans and Democrats, or are they pretty much the same?
0: I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. I know Speaker Welch, um, just watching his interactions, and I mean, I speak to everybody, right? Um, there's still some folks who are a, a little bit on... The, the same things they were on last year. Um, but they have a new leadership, you know? And I think um, Leader McCombie, this is an opportunity for her to really, you know, show a different um, way to lead that that caucus, right? But I don't know. I really don't know how it would, would be after we really get into the weeds of things because it's just the beginning. But I do know there are still some folks there who may not be as excited to or may not be as willing to um, be on board with getting the work done. Honestly, I'll just be honest with you. Um, Our main goal going down to Springfield is to deliver for our districts. That's the main goal. And so, you know, I'm super focused on what we're doing on the Democratic side. I don't know what the Republicans are going to do. I can't really speak for them. But right now, it seems to be okay. But we will see once things start to to speed up in Springfield.
1: Yeah, may, maybe I was a little unfair to blame everything on Darren Bailey. <laughs> maybe it goes yeah, beyond I, Darren Bailey. Hey,
0: you know, I just... Everyone is independent down there. <laughs> and people represent their district. I mean, that's one thing we have to be honest about. You represent your district. And so people have to... They're representatives of their individual district district. Uh, their constituents vote for them, so they're going to represent the way that they feel they need to represent, right? And so, I, 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 hey, they're doing what they feel they need to do.
1: All right, uh, let's move on to uh, some Chicago political talk. We're in the middle of the mayor's race, and uh, we got, what is it? I'm doing a quick Oh, my goodness. It's less than two weeks away. Uh, time flies when you're having fun. I I have finally have the feeling... Uh, that most Chicagoans who are going to ever pay attention are paying attention, you know, and it takes them a while. It seems, that, it seems like the Super Bowl is when people start paying attention. You know, and when I think about the mayoral cycle, because the elections, you know, I think, well, after the Super Bowl's over, I, of course, a political junkie, because I'm paying attention from the get-go. But uh, I think most what ordinary Chicagoans are paying attention. Uh, and uh, every day is a new poll. I don't know what to believe in the polls. Uh half the polls I think are a bunch of lies and propaganda. Uh what's your general sense of where we're at as a city and the kind of like what what will be the decisive factor uh in this the first round? I presume there'll be a second round, no one will get up uh 50%. The first round of this mayor's race. Um uh, I
0: don't know. I mean I'm confused about the polls, too, because there's a new one coming out all the time and is shifting. However, I guess folks wanted to shift. I think that people are looking for a plan. Who has the best plan? Who they can most relate to? Um, I know that's what I look for as a voter. Um, I know that's what you know people I talk to are looking for. Not so much as the attacks, but more so of what is your actual plan to leave the city? You know, what makes you different from the current mayor? You know? So I, I think that's what's gonna be the, the determinant factor. Uh,
1: one of the, the topics of conversation we've had a lot on this show, and I gotta give a shout out to Mark Sims, comes on the show, podcaster, uh, is the fact that there are, I think it's seven black candidates, uh, one Hispanic candidate, and a white candidate. Uh, and Mark has been very outspoken about this. He's Whenever he comes in the show, uh, he feels so that the black vote will be divided, uh, among these candidates. And, uh, the, probably the result will be that Paul Vallis, uh, will walk into the runoff. Uh, it will be guaranteed, uh, a position in the runoff. Your thoughts on that?
0: Um, I, I, believe that that's, uh, a, a true statement, right? Um, I think Paul Vallis speaks to um, folks who who are looking for. I mean, he presents himself to be the answer, right? Um, you don't see him attacking anybody; you see him focused in on what he plans to do. Now, some of it may not be real; <laughs> it may not be factual, but you know, as long as he can get away with getting all of his stuff out. In those forums, he gets to slide right on in because he looks more reasonable, right? Um, But I think people have forgotten who Paul Ballas is, too. And so, um, yeah, I I think he would definitely be in the runoff. The whole thing of, you know, seven Black candidates, they're going to split the vote. You know, we have to get away from that. Um, A lot of people, they have voted off identity politics, but... I always tell folks, you can't just focus on one group of, pe- one race of people. You have to be a candidate that can, you know, be liked across the board, right? Someone that everyone can believe in. And that's building a multicultural um, coalition. And what I've seen is Brandon Johnson do that. So I don't know. Uh,
1: Brent, Brent, you so you've endorsed Brandon Johnson. I knew that. Um, I
0: have endorsed Brandon Johnson.
1: Yeah. uh, Cook County Commissioner Brandon Johnson, CTU uh, organizer Brandon Johnson, former new city Y employee Brandon Johnson, et cetera, and so forth. Uh, And uh, former school teacher Brandon Johnson. Uh, He was attacked uh, by J. Maul Green uh, on Monday's debate. Uh, J. Maul called him a fraud uh, and said that he's, as he said, that uh, Brandon is just pretending to care about people uh, in Austin and on the west side in order to win over white votes, uh, white lefties and liberals to win over their white votes uh, on the north side. Very unusual accusation. Never quite heard anything qu- in like that in Chicago politics. Uh, and I've been following politics a long time, Lakeisha. <laughs> Longer than Jay Mulgary. Anybody been alive. who knows
0: Brandon, <laughs> yeah. they know that Brandon is not a fraud. <laughs> Yeah, I think this is the the so this is the thing about politics. The, you know, when you're running in a race, and also what I've experienced too. Um, and I try to tell any candidate who has called me in the past, or even doing this uh, municipal uh, election, is that focus on your race. If you're focused on your race, then you don't worry about what's going on around you. But the candidates that tend to become the target of everyone attacking them obviously is the person that they're intimidated by. And that's what I see right now. You know, there's no need to attack one another if you're focused on your race. If you feel that you have the better plan and that you can, you know, um, get into the runoff or win the race entirely, you wouldn't waste your time attacking Brandon Johnson. Brandon Johnson is not the current mayor. You, The reason why you're in the race is to what? Defeat the current mayor you haven't really talked about her at all. All of your attacks have been towards the former teacher, the Cook County commissioner. And I think that what voters need to understand is our different roles. And that's why I do a lot of that. I, I teach my constituents, anyone that i talk to, about what my role is as a state rep, the alderman, the Cook County commissioner. Because I think a lot of times we get it mixed up. And so the person who sounds the most, you know, um, realistic on a stage, you tend to believe everything that they say, but Cook County commissioner, the things that he's been, uh, you know, attacked on, th- that's not really what he do. He represents Cook County. So, um, calling him a fraud, I-, I find that laughable because I clearly remember being out there fighting for 15 or fighting against, um, Bank of America or fighting for, you know, the injustice that Laquan McDonald family, um, You know, when Laquan McDonald was murdered, that uh, it was Brandon Johnson standing next to me when we were fighting for the teachers. And when they went on strike, I remember seeing Jamal Green jump in, take a couple of photos. We won't talk about what happened after that. But I remember... Brandon Johnson showing up everywhere. And he's always done that before he became a Cook County commissioner and even as a Cook County commissioner. And so he's not someone that wants to be in front of the camera all the time. He's not the person that show up, take a picture, walk away. Like Brandon has always been on the front line. And that's why I endorse Brandon Johnson is because I know Brandon Johnson. I know the type of work that he's willing to put in. And so these attacks on him, especially coming from Jamal, is just—it's um, just typical in a race that's pretty, you know, tight like this. Um, I think Jamal is a really smart person. I think that, you know, he—he um, he definitely gets what needs to to happen to fix, um, you know, our our city. But I think the way he's going about it, <clears throat> um, it's just—you know—it's disheartening. But I've told him in the past when I talked to him, focus on your race. Don't worry about nobody else, you know? You, you can't be upset at who's endorsing who. You have to worry about Jamal Green.
1: I, I just going to, this is my personal statement. I had a laugh when I heard it because um, I know a lot of white people. I know a lot of white people on the <laughs> North side. Sorry, I can't think of one saying. white person on the North side <laughs> who is going to vote one way or another in this race. <laughs> Has Brandon been good to Austin? This is this is my white person's vote, and this remedy. I've known white people a long time. Okay, maybe j has got more experience oh with God. North Side white people than me, but I doubt it because I'm so much older than them. Uh, but I had a laugh when I heard that one. I'm like, I've heard everything in Chicago politics. I stick around long enough. Do not know one white person on the North Side. Is I quote like, oh, this Ben? It's really important. How is he treating us? I, ha- I have moment. one of the
0: most diverse districts. And I would tell you, Ben, honestly, when I when I first ran and I was knocking more, um, you know, about university, um, village, and, you know, more in my more fluent area, I had people telling me, like, look, focus on the west side. <laughs> like, we're on the west side of Chicago. They really need help over there. Seriously. You know, and even when I knock, when I'm not, you know, running from office, I knock throughout the year. Um, and sometimes it's just for a couple of hours. And you know, I've heard from my constituents that they would be like, Wow, I've never seen my elected official on my door or even call my phone prior to an election. And so stay on the west side. We we got everything we need over here. But it's just the fact that, you know, a lot of our um we are, we're always on the outside looking in. And so I always like to hear from, you know, a variety of my uh, constituents because you just never know. And I think like, like with a district like mine, everybody wants the same thing. It's just that one end has been kind of behind the other has been moving forward and I'm just trying to get the balance
1: there, but
0: I've never heard of that either, man.
1: No, (laughs) because it doesn't exist. Uh, All right. Uh, (laughs) That's why we haven't heard of it. Uh, All right. You know, you've you've mentioned a couple of times that uh, you have a a diverse district, Uh, and that's more and more the case with state rep seats uh, these days with the, the redistricting. Uh, there, that's the reality I mean oh god I've had so many state reps come on this show or, or uh, an uh, and alderman too talk about how diverse their district cam Buckner's di- district is really diverse uh, and uh, he's been on the show a couple times and uh just Sophia King I'm thinking the woman, the fourth Ward is very diverse uh so uh, on the contentious issue of crime how do you like how much in common does the upscale part of your ward have with the poorer part of the ward? Uh, And, you know, what are some of the common, I'm always trying to look for something that people have in common that we can work from and then build from there. So what are some of the, you know, just to sort of like the, the common viewpoints on, on the issue of crime uh, that unite both parts of your ward Mm
0: -hmm.
1: or your district Um, safety,
0: you know, everyone wants to be safe. Um, You know, No matter what part of the district, you know, folks are not feeling safe. But crime looks different on the near north side than it does on the west side. You know, the crime on the west side, you may hear more about gun violence. You may hear more of the carjacking. Um, On the near north side, though, there's an uptick with the carjacking um, that's been happening over here. I think that... I think that, you know, just having open, real, honest conversations about what's happening is always key to getting people to a common place. And we don't talk about the root causes enough. We feel like we have to change the conversation depending on what end of the district you're on. I like to keep the conversation the same because it's what's really happening. A lot of the carjacking that's taking place is young, young folks. And even some of the reports have shown they're a little bit older than that, too. It is rooted in poverty. It's rooted in poverty is rooted in lack of you know um, you know things for young folks to do um, and it's moving more towards the near North area that I represent and so what brings folks together is trying to find real solutions to how to fix it and just acknowledging that there are some gaps there you know but I think everyone wants to make sure that these young people have something. To do, whether it be a mentorship program, whether it be after school activities, um, funding for those things, um, and I mean it's a lot of work getting done over here on the north side as far as organization wide. We um, got the NNUP, you have Vincent Carter who deals with a lot of the the young um, students from the Cabrini area, um, and then you have you know. Black Girls Break Bread, they do a lot of stuff with the girls. I mean, it's so much stuff getting done, but because they are not in the zone where they can get funding to help expand these programs because of the way they're coded over here, um, they kind of miss out on that opportunity to do that. But a lot of them spend money out of their pocket or raise the money from the community. And so uh, I try to help out any way I can over here. But it's mentoring. Mentoring. And then on the west side, it's pretty much the same thing. They get a lot of violence and imp- intervention money. Um, they well, I wouldn't say a whole lot, but more groups need to get violence and intervention money in order to target those red areas over there. But mentoring is something that keeps coming up on both parts of that, uh, on both parts of the district. Um, when we talk about police, because I hear a lot of the candidates talking about more police, more police, more police. Um, I think that it's a little bit different when it comes to the West Side. It's where we don't have anyone really coming. The response time—that's because they're spending a lot of time doing non-emergency calls too, where you can have a social worker, the officers acting in a social worker um, capacity, and that's not really, you know, where they're needed to be. And so, mm, it's a lot of layers. Um, that we need to start, you know, folding back. But I think the most common thing is figuring out how do we get our young people in safer environments for them to be able to be busy, get more young people to work. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm with you on that one. And I really hope, uh, you know, it's that uh, promise time of the campaign season and mayoral Uh campaigns. And I've learned my lesson the hard way in 2019. We can't play with that. Not to... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you don't believe all the promises.
0: Yeah. And that was one of the things too, right? Um, You can't make promises, you know, you can't keep. And so even running for my position, I had to literally think about like, how can I deliver in my first term on the things that I said I was going to do? So I had to stand my ground a lot of stuff, even though I was being poor left and right. <laughs> right. I'm like, no, these are my key things. If I said that I was not for school closures, and I was not for school closures, I'm not going to allow you to close down three schools in this community where now parents are saying they have to cross gang territories. I experienced that on the near north side. We lost babies because of that, right? So how do we figure this out? If we had grocery stores, if we had jobs over here, if we had housing where folks can have roofs over their head, then we wouldn't have to worry about closing these schools down because of under enrollment. You know, and the buildings that's that's empty, we have to repurpose them. Why are we just letting them sit there, you know, with the lights, up, the lights still on, but there's no souls in the building? And so on the near north side, it's a little bit different. Um, but the community is super engaged um over here as well. Um it's just a it's a hard job. But promises you never make promises you can't keep.
1: Well, these are all promises. I'm going to push back a little. That can be kept uh, if there is a will to keep them. So, one of the promises I've heard every single candidate is say, uh, well, not Mayor Lori Lightfoot hasn't said it. it. They will reopen the the clinics they closed. I always thought that was one of those cruel things. There's a lot of there's a lot of cruel things that have happened in the city of Chicago, uh, Lakeisha, over the last twelve years or so uh, since Rom got elected, but closing. Mental health clinics in high-crime areas would be near the top of the list. Uh, and so, you know, Lori Lightfoot, when she ran in 2019, said she's going to open them, and then didn't. Now, all the candidates running now say they're going to open them. That's something that can be done. I mean, you know what I mean? It's not like saying fly a plane to Mars. I mean, this is very achievable if you want to take a step dealing with trauma and uh, mental health issues and people losing their minds and pressures of life. They're all real. They they affect all of us. Some people have the means to pay for a therapist and they can deal with it that way. God bless them. that They do it, but not everybody does. And I just do not understand why the resistance in the city of Chicago over something like that. So to me, that's just like, opening the mental health clinics is such an obvious case of a very doable thing. Do you follow me? That Do not understand the resistance is something so basic and achievable. Yeah. Help me out here.
0: That, that's a necessity too. Um, I don't know. Cause I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm, I'm an open book too. And if I don't know something, I'm not going to act like I do. I don't understand why it's so hard to open back up the mental health clinics. I know it's something that we need to do. Um, and we're seeing more and more young young people in need of professional help. Um, and a lot of them are self-medicating themselves. Um, or simply just saying, you know, they give up. And so for someone like me who was at that point, if I didn't have those resources, I wouldn't be here. And so this is a very personal um, and dear thing that's close to my heart. And so I just can't figure out for the life of me why, you know, our current mayor couldn't fulfill that, you know. But um, I'm hopeful that, you know, if we get a mayor, Brandon Johnson, that we can get those mental health clinics open. But I don't understand what's what's the problem. I don't get it.
1: Well, I got to tell you, uh, pretty much every automatic forum I've attended, almost, I it's universal. The aldermen say they want to reopen them. So
0: it takes all it takes is a vote. It takes a it takes a vote. So you know, people say things, but it's their voting record that shows who they are. It's the voting record, and a lot of our, our a lot of our constituents don't even know the process. They don't know that they can watch us live during committees. They don't know that they can watch us live when we're taking these votes or how to look up what votes we took. They don't know, so they just go about what. You know, someone is telling them. And so I've been taking my time educating and teaching people to process because honestly, it makes my job a lot easier because if my constituents know where I stand on an issue or if they have an issue with something that, um, or that they don't agree with, I have the conversation. I have the conversation with them. Or I hold down and say, well, no, my constituents don't want this. Let's figure this out. Or I can't vote for it. Right. So, you know, the transparency part is important, too. I don't think we have enough transparency um, in, in government sometimes.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, and I will now avoid a conversation about how uh, Chicago, the city of Chicago, is not transparent in any way. You can't even get Inspector General reports released, <laughs> which are prepared for with city uh, tax dollars. So uh, I will avoid that conversation, though we've been having it all show. I um, excuse me, all week on the show. Uh, State Representative Lakeisha Collins, thank you very much for taking time to come talk to me. I really appreciate it.
0: I appreciate you too, Ben. Thank you.
1: All right. That's State Representative Lakeisha Collins. I'm Ben Jerofsky. Take care, everybody.